You're tuned into 90.7 FM KALX Berkeley. My name is Tesla Munson, and this is The Graduates, the interview talk show where we speak with UC Berkeley graduate students about their research here on campus and around the world. Today, I'm joined by Mitar Militinovich in the Department of Computer Science here at Berkeley. Welcome, Mitar. Uh, welcome. Yes. And uh, so you're a third year in the department, right? Yes. Does the computer science department here have lots of different programs of research? Oh uh, yes. So um, for especially for PhD, uh, I would say like uh, we have many labs, many many sub uh, uh, you know re- research areas, and yeah, it depends all on on you know your advisor and and what they are interested in. And what are you interested in? Oh, I'm interested in too many things. What's my advisor is saying to me? I should focus more. Uh, but a general topic I would say is collaboration. So how you collaborate on the internet uh, or how you use internet to uh, improve how people collaborate. So is this like traditional computer science with programming? Yes, uh, of course. You have to, uh, like all the tools uh, which we use and develop in our uh, group, uh, you know, they have to be made and, and that means programming. So you spend most of your time in front of the computer? Yes. Yes. Uh, are there any like languages we, we should know about? Any fancy words? Um, there are many languages, but I think that currently... Um, most of the work is done um, as uh, web applications, so through browsers. Um, so, which means that you use a regular um, web uh, technologies like HTML5 or JavaScript. And have you always been interested in computer science? Since yes, you were young? yes. Um, so, I always saw computer science as something uh, like as a good as a good tool you can combine with many other interests. So, if if you look. Currently, at, at anything in, in the world, there is always a computer behind. So it's really easy to find then uh, how would you want to you know, use this tool in, in whatever else is interesting to you. But do you have to be like a prodigy? Like, do you have to be really good at programming when you're young in order to be a computer scientist later? I would say it, it's very useful if you start young. Programming is uh, very similar to, to you know, foreign language. Uh, so earlier you start and more practice, uh, better you are at that. But we have many, many cases of people starting very, very, like, you know, few years in the past, and then become very good and creating amazing software now. So it, it really depends from the person to person. Like, it's, I was really, say, repeat again, you know, very similar to languages. Some people can pick languages very quickly. Some people start learning foreign languages, you know, late in, the, uh, in their life. You know, it, it, and, you know, everybody's different, so it really depends. But, yeah, you like... The safe bet is starting early, but you should try at any time. And and if you see that that's something you are you know you're getting uh, you know used to and and it's easy for you and it's going uh, well, then you should just continue. And but yeah, um, it requires a lot of practice, like just programming, doing different things, learning. You know, just you know, you should just the best thing is you just you know do whatever you, you like to do. Like, you know, you, you think, oh, well, I can make this program to I know, help me make my calendar or this website or, and just do it and, and practice. And yeah, you know, first many, many times it will be not the best thing ever, but through time it will get better and better. And so did you do your undergraduate in computer science? Yes, uh, I did my undergraduate uh, back home in Slovenia. So I'm from Slovenia, and yeah, I did uh, computer science. Is it different? Is getting an undergraduate degree there any different than it is here? So it is similar to the other parts in Europe, uh, how the uh, university system is structured. But I would say the main difference is that you have to pick your major even uh, like 
immediately after high school. So when you're applying to the program, you're already picking which program you want to go. Uh, so you pick you know, computer science uh, and you start from the first year is computer science until the end. Because of that, it's also a bit more focused. So a lot of things uh, I'm learning now here in my PhD student, uh, studies, we already covered it in, in the undergrad back home uh, because you, know, you have simply more time because you're doing really just one major. And you worked on computer science project in your undergrad yes, as well. Yes, so during my time, you know, Similar to here, you know, I worked on many, you know, uh, homework projects and other projects. And uh, but what I really was interested in was also open source as a way of of building uh, uh, computer or software projects. And open source is interesting approach because it embeds a lot of this of my interest of collaboration. So you uh, you can you know bring people from all around the world uh, to work on a common project, and and internet enabled that. And you know, computer science and, and software development was first one to really benefited from that because uh, you know people who were using internet in the beginning were also people who mostly who knew how to program. So a lot of tools you are using today uh, and operating systems and and really many many things uh, are developed in this fashion, this collaborative fashion where people from all around the world work together at, uh, and often you know volunteer to make something happen. And I was very interested in these things. So. I started a few projects of my own as well. Yeah. Can you tell us about uh, any of them? I would say the, the most um, successful project in, in, in adoption and, and use from by others wasn't, is, so it's still uh, happening, is a project called uh, WLAN Slovenia, which is a community wireless um, network in Slovenia. So that that is a project where we are um, trying to encourage people to open their home Wi-Fi networks. So um, at home, you have your uh, Wi-Fi access point and you're using it for, you know, whatever you use internet at home. But often these days, it's, it's locked down, it's, it's closed only and, and you, you allow only few people to access it like your family or yourself and so on. Um, what we started asking people is, why don't you open that? Uh, why don't you allow everybody to use your access point at home to access the internet? Because if enough people would do that, open their Wi-Fi, uh, we would have open and free internet anywhere we go. As you would walk around the city, you would be able to connect to different people and use their internet connection. Of course, the, there is always a concern, people say, when we gave that idea. Oh, what if somebody will you know, misuse or use the whole connection I have or misuse it and and you know do something, something bad on the internet and then I will be responsible. So what we did, we developed um, technology which, which, you know, uh, makes it very easy to prevent that. So it, it prevents any misuses of internet connection because it connects to the central server, which then provides internet access. Uh, and uh, and you just share the bandwidth. And, uh, you know, it, it makes it easy to control how much bandwidth you want to share. So people can say, oh, I want, you know, to share only 10% of my home bandwidth with everybody and the rest is for me. And this worked really well because, you know, most people are not at home all the time and have... Uh, they don't use the internet at all, which they have at home. So if they can open that easily, um, you know, everybody benefits. So did you find that people were receptive to this yes, idea? Yes, yes, yes. So um, it doesn't have to be that everybody has to be receptive. Like it, it's enough that, you know, 1% of people is receptive and we cover, cover the the city or country. So back home in Slovenia, we have now around 400 um, open Wi-Fi nodes operating in this way. 
Um, we developed some software which helps people to do that very easily. So the network is growing by itself. Like people just you know go to the websites, register, and say, "I want I'm living here. I want you know to contribute to join," and the website helps them you know do uh, helps them do all necessary steps, which are like really few, and it just works. So even if you don't have any technical knowledge, you can do it, and people are slowly like you know slowly but constantly uh, opening more and more nodes. And yeah, um, it's really interesting and it's working. But for me, the main you know idea was behind: can we use these internet tools f- to connect those people who would want to open the Wi-Fi together? Because otherwise, like going around and asking people and doing manually would really take a lot of time. But with uh, with some simple technology website which al- allows coordination between all these people who didn't know each other before, uh, this is happening. Like this can become uh, is becoming a movement. So when you were thinking about graduate school, why mm-hmm. uh, why Berkeley? What what made you think of Berkeley? Hmm, that was um interesting story. I, in fact, didn't really want to go to grad school, um, but my friends tricked me into that in some way. One of my friends said, you know, you should just apply and see, and if you get accepted, then, you know, you can decide to go or not. Uh, but if you don't get accepted, you would at least know that you tried. Otherwise, you would, like, you know, ask yourself in 30 years, you know, what it what it would be if I would go and so on. And, and so you should try and see how it goes. So I tried and I got accepted and um, um, then I didn't want to go. And then my friend said, you know, but you should go and try it out. And then you can always come back if you don't like it, you know. So I went. Uh, I'm here now. Um, and, yeah, I have to learn how to... Um, you know, defend myself against such ar- type of arguments. Otherwise, I can do simply, I can be tricked to do anything. It seems. Let's see. It sounds like a good friend to me. We will see. We will see. I think. I. I think. Yeah. He, I think he's he's really amazing friend. Yes. Uh, but yeah, that's that's how I got here. Yeah. Did you apply to anywhere else in the United States? Uh, so I applied to a few other uh, very like uh, high ranked uh, schools. I like my argument was, you know, if I'm going somewhere, I should go to a good school best schools um, but I didn't really have a, any um, academic paper yet so the application process was a bit different so for uh, other schools they want you know to list your uh, you know, CV your um, recommendation letters and your um, you know what academic papers you already have and in the um, uh, for Berkeley they had one additional letter which was really interesting they asked you what um, socially important projects you did so I could write much more there um, uh, than in others where I didn't really have any academic output, but I had a lot of you know, open search projects and other interesting, socially important, I hope, um, I believe, uh, projects. Uh, so I think that was the difference that uh, I got accepted only to Berkeley. So that's why I then also decided to come here because it's like it aligned both with my preference and when I, where I got accepted. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. And so you've continued work that is socially conscious with your dissertation. Yes. So um, so I'm continuing, I would say, both. So yeah, I, I, I really believe that it's important to have in mind uh, what your work, how your work influences uh, society and, and does it benefit and in which way it benefits because, you know, there are many, many ways you can do things which you think that helps people, but maybe, you know, they still, you know, you can just improve or increase the oppression uh, or like lock, locking in them and so on. So I think that's still important. And of course, also the other part which I'm interested in is, and I'm still trying to find ways and other ways how to do it, which is using uh, internet as a 
way to improve how people collaborate. So how, how they can find each other and work on something. So back home in Slovenia, that was using tools to find each other if you want to open the Wi-Fi and you want to build a common network between all of you. And here I am working on another project called Peer Library, which is um, a platform for collaborative reading of academic papers. So if you have an academic paper and you are curious you know, what it means, how uh, you, you have issues understanding it, or you just, you know, want to make it easier for yourself and, and you know, discuss it with others, you can, you know, import it to the, this website and then you can highlight and annotate uh, the parts of the paper and work with others to better understand the paper. So what what are some of the benefits of that? You said collaboration. Yes. So you can do this often in person like you can find few 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 friends and and say oh you know like your peers in the department and, and we are doing that already this is already done during phd studies a lot and say oh i don't understand this part can you help me you, know, you can go to your advisor and, and ask the same question but if you are not at the university or after you leave university um, who do you ask uh, you don't really have such communities around so universities are good because they bring these people together in a physical space and you can easily find such people to ask questions. But if you're you know, studying by yourself, if you're in many countries around the world where they don't have such good education or such opportunities, you don't really have any way. And that's the problem, I think, um, because if we are making academic knowledge inaccessible to the general public, then we cannot really claim, oh, they don't understand global warming you know how you know why, how can they have such beliefs about global warming and so on if but you know we don't really help them get it in some way they cannot really read original papers and help and we don't help them understand so by building such a web platform um we are hoping to um, enable them to discuss paper original material directly uh, ask researchers, ask other um, readers, and and then get really insight into the concrete um, content of the paper. So this really has the two applications you mentioned. One is uh, for academics who might be isolated, being able to get feedback uh, directly on the paper, but also for the general public, being able to interact with researchers. So you could maybe even imagine some sort of interactive course or... Um. Exactly. So there, there are a few use cases which we are targeting or have in mind while developing. So one is definitely in, in classroom use. Uh, so you could have um, like you know, a professor using it for, for learning together with students. It could also be students themselves organize and say, oh, you know, professor gave us this reading material. Let's import it to P library and, you know, help each other understand it instead of each of us um, read by, them, uh, by you know, yourself. Of course, the professor allows such collaboration. And then you can use it also inside of, uh, you know, existing research uh, departments and labs on campus or globally because it makes it easier maybe, you know, that you don't have to meet so often in person. You can use this tool to help each other. Uh, so for existing researchers in academia, in, in university can also help. And of course, as I mentioned, everyone outside of academia, outside of, you know, uh, traditional university research um, groups or, or spaces can can use it as well. 
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to 90.7 FM KALX Berkeley. My name is Tesla Munson, and today I'm joined by Mitar Milotinovic uh, in the Department of Computer Science here at Berkeley, talking about some of his past work in Slovenia and now his current work on Peer Library, a collaborative PDF reading and uh, understanding program. So how do you go about doing this program? Is it more about getting access to materials through PDFs, or is it more about like actually coding the mechanics of how the program works? All of, all of that. So the, the project as it is is really huge in some way, very ambitious, uh, and, it, and it needs and has many layers. So one layer is definitely just, you know, getting the word out and getting community to build around the project so that they can use and read because more people will be using it easier for everybody will be to you know find help to understand the papers so we are working a lot on outreach the other part is definitely then uh, you know getting content into the system so currently we are working by you know asking people to import their their pdfs they want to read and then they use this um, as a you know material they, they they are reading but we are also looking into options like importing open access repositories into the p library so that um, publications are already there when 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 you search for them or want to read but of course uh, below all of that is is technology so um, we also developed all this technology which allows you to to everything what I mentioned from importing the PDFs to um, discussing them, annotating, highlighting, um, you know, sharing, uh, and so on. So are there any restrictions on what you can import into the program, like in terms of copyright? So that's a good question because there are sadly restrictions on on, on, on accessing the academic literature. Um, so I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with that, but most, uh, sadly still, most academic literature is not freely accessible to the general public. Uh, there is a movement called open access, which is trying to change that. The idea is that academic literature itself should be open uh, and, and available for everybody to read. Uh, this is especially important because most students don't realize that while they are studying, because they are accessing this material through the library of Berkeley, they can freely access it and they don't really see the, any limitations. But while when they leave Berkeley and they want to continue you know, researching and following the research, they discover that they that most of the research is behind paywalls and that they would be having to pay like you know 30 bucks to access one paper even without knowing if that paper is the one they want or or you know is it relevant to them so this really becomes an obstacle for many researchers outside of university and we are addressing that in the way that Discussions around the papers, even if they are closed access, uh, so even if they are behind paywalls, can still be open. So when they import the PDF, they can select if the paper is open access, closed access, or private. This means that if it's open access, people can find it in the system and they can directly access the full text. If it's closed access, they can find the paper in the system. But sadly, we say, sorry, we cannot show you the full text. Uh, you have to find it somewhere else or you have to show that you have access by, by again, importing it, the PDF, and then again, you gain access. Or it's private, which means it's semi-private draft. I don't even want to, to be seen in the system, but yeah, I want to use the same technology I'm you know, using for other things. So in the case of closed access papers, even if we cannot display the full text, we still display the annotations and, and discussions which happened, uh, which we believe could help people to understand, is the paper relevant? Should I even pay for it, even if I have to pay? And uh, maybe even, you know, learn ab uh, about main ideas in the paper without even having to pay for it. Because 
while paper is copyrighted, the ideas and knowledge in the paper is not. So people community can describe that ideas in their own words, their own terms, and this can help then people understand what is in the original paper. Do you think that non-academics, like the general public, want to read scientific papers? To answer that question, I would I would go into the history. And if you imagine time before the printing press was introduced, everything, everybody who was reading was really scholars, and 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 they were the only ones writing and reading books. Immediately when the printing press was introduced, not immediately, but like in years after the printing press was introduced. General public started reading books. Books became uh, more and more popular, and something which was before impossible for general public, like to, if you would ask anybody at that time, is there any interest that you know general public would read these books? Probably everybody said no. But after the printing press, after the technology allowed them easy access to 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 books, when we got libraries where you could read together with others and help each other understand the books, and discuss you know all the stories and everything. Uh, books became very po- popular, and I think I uh, and and I believe we are at the same stage with academic papers in some way um, that you know they are locked in a special community. Uh, nobody has access to them, and and n- because of that, nobody also you know tries to understand them. And we haven't developed tools and and methods in our society to help each other understand them. So like like libraries, physical libraries, which developed, and and you know reading clubs and everything which developed to. Um, to help each other understand the books, the same thing. Uh, I believe we, if we develop today, we uh, we can help uh, for understanding the papers. The question is, of course, the critical mass. So, for books, you can probably easier find in your local environment uh, the critical mass of people to read together the same book, uh, because they are, the topic is much more broader. For papers, it's harder. Uh, you know, there are specific areas, and it's much harder to find the critical mass of people. But that's where the internet comes into play. On the global scale, there will always be somebody who is interested in the same paper as you, if you look between you know, 7 billion people. Uh, before the interview, you used the word activism. Mm-hmm. And talking about this project and your other project, can you explain to us why you would use that word in this case? I would say because it tries to change some status quo which, which in which we are locked in. First project, uh, WN Slovenia, is trying to change our how we perceive and 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 act or like how what internet is in some way. So for for many people, internet internet is something uh, you buy, you get, but not something you create. Uh, and and with the WN Slovenia, we are trying to show no internet is something uh, is something you can do yourself. It's really something you know. It's just a bunch of connections which exists between different networks and different computers. And you can add more of those connections yourself. And more you, we will add them, better it will be. More internet access we will have. And and in this way, I think it's important to understand, to empower people in some way, to create their own connectivity and, and their own um, um, access to the internet. Uh, in a similar way, Peer Library is working um, towards similar goal of, of access to knowledge. Um, and currently, the status quo is this knowledge is locked uh, in uh, behind uh, paywalls, and not just paywalls, but also you know, complicated terminology um, and everything we developed in science to and academia in general to, you know, um, communicate with each other. Um, 
and you know using p library you can we can you know bridge this gap in some way and and allow people to start um to gain um you know um insight in this uh, knowledge locked in in papers so do you have any advice for younger students undergraduates or high schoolers who are interested in computer science or interested in this sort of t- you know technological activism yes so there are too many opportunities it's hard sometimes to pick on campus, um, there is uh, one mailing list called Internet Freedom, uh, which can be found among all the mailing lists on, on um, CalMail. And um, you can join that and you will see what events are happening around the c- campus about um, you know such topics. But in general, many open source projects, I would say, share similar and and you know similar ideas uh, of of trying to you know address some social issue um, with with technology. So I would say in general, like joining um, open source projects and and contributing is an amazing way for you to learn both programming and both uh, you know how to collaborate with others. Uh, to to instead of doing your own personal projects for uh you know join some other existing team and 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 that really helps and and you know gives you a lot of experience which can be used both for you know general good but also for your own career of course not op- all open source projects have you know very social mission and they can just be you know very useful uh, useful tool which of course is also good but there are also some which are very uh, you know um like really targeting, you know, some you know oppressed minorities, uh, some direct social change. Um, so you know, searching that, searching that on the internet, uh, probably for any topic you 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 have in mind, there is probably uh, some software, uh, some some group trying to develop a software solution to that. So of course, uh, I would say that not not all social problems can be addressed with with technology um i think that's maybe something which in bay area people believe um and they're trying to you know use the same hammer for every nail but not all nails are the same so sometimes uh technology is useful and sometimes it in fact brings more b- barriers for example yeah i could i could critique my own project for example peer library as we are developing it currently it's targeted like it's very shiny interface very modern interface very uh you know moving everything around um uh, reactive and you know real time like facebooky um interface which is nice if you have a good internet connection but it doesn't really work very well immediately when you get something um slower so it, which immediately means that you know we are locking out a big portion of of um, you know human population and of course so we're using internet as a basic uh, requirement uh, for using the tool which looks even bigger part of human population away so so having these things in mind is important so you know we hope that in the future we will be able to uh, make it so that it really works on also low end devices and 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 you know uh, with low connectivity we you know currently is the um, i would say um, um, limitation of resources which are available so we started with more uh, shiny interface and and that's for example something anybody can join and help us uh, you know fix in some way so this is also important for open source projects to understand that if something is not yet there you can come and fix and help and yeah it's it's all volunteer based so you know you just join and say hey you know i am interested in helping doing that and that you know is uh, true for all open source projects you know every open source project is 
uh, is welcoming new contributors. So collaboration really is the name of the game here. Uh, yes. So uh, I would say Internet Real enabled that. Internet Real enabled you know, global scale collaboration. Uh, we can see this in Wikipedia. Um, we can see this in many open source projects, you know, and that you can really bring people together, which otherwise, you know, wouldn't find and see each other. And and at Berkeley here, you know, we are lucky in some way because we have a nice campus and, you know, people can, you know, we can, um, so, and most people, for example, working in P-Library can meet in person and, and, and which definitely helps a lot, but, you know, it's not a requirement. You can still work completely uh, online without even, you know, uh, knowing how the other person looks like or, and, and, you know, you just know, oh, they are amazing contributor and, you know, um, we work together. Well, Matar, we are uh, just about out of time here. Do you have any last words for the audience? Anything you really want to get across? So I would really invi- uh, invite everybody to, you know, try a peer library out, uh, give us feedback. Uh, at this stage, that's, I think, the most important thing, how you can help us. Or, you know, if you want to get any experience in, you know, programming or collaborative programming, learning how to work with others and so on, uh, f- uh, you know, feel f- free to come by our GitHub um, repository. But otherwise, yeah, join the Internet Freedom mailing list if you're interested in more, um, you know, activism uh, of this kind on campus. And, um, yeah, have in mind that, you know, technology is not always a solution. Um, I talked a lot about technology as a solution, but, you know, it's not a solution for everything. No, that's excellent words to, to live by. So thank you very much, Mitar. This has been another episode of The Graduates here on KLX Berkeley 90.7 FM. My name is Tesla Munson. Today I've been joined by computer scientist Mitar Milotinovich here at Berkeley, a third-year PhD student, telling us about his past work with a collaborative wireless in Slovenia and now his current work on peer library and collaborative academic reading. So you can learn lots more about that, I'm sure, if you... Can we Google peer library? Yeah, so. peer library or you know, peerlibrary.org. Um, that's it. Yeah, so uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode of The Graduates here on CalEx. Until then, stay tuned. You're listening to 90.7 FM KALX, Berkeley.